I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to this passage of Scripture. We will we'll walk back through it as we study it and learn from it what God has for us. Not only today, but really this passage as our kind of springboard into this brand new year. How God's Word works for our good. That's kind of kind of be our heading as we look at this passage together. Let's pause for a moment as we do and just ask the Lord if he might help us today. Lord, we love you and praise you and we are so grateful and thankful as it has been expressed already today for a brand new year. The newness that it represents, Lord, and uh, the opportunity we have to look back at a year and look forward for a new year. We look back, Father, and, and we see your grace has been sufficient. Your mercies were new every day and your faithfulness was great. We have all the reason to believe, Father, from your word and from your the, the history of your working with your people that what you've been faithful to last year, you will be faithful to this year. So we look into 2023 with great comfort and hope as the people of God that, Lord, you will be just as faithful in the days ahead, in the, in the blessings ahead, and in the trials ahead, that you will lead and you will guide and you will teach that you will be at work in your people, sustaining us, keeping us, encouraging us, growing us, stretching us. We come together, Father, to launch into a brand new year, and Father, it's our desire to do so with the Word of God, not only on our tables and on our phones, but in our hearts. Father, we, we, are, we desire that this year your word would, would become alive in us, that we would have a, a fresh hunger and thirst for your righteousness for you as is found in your word. Give us the desire that we need, Lord, and, and the, the will that we need, Father, to prioritize what you have spoken that, Father, as you speak, that we, Father, will grow in your likeness, that we will be transformed and conformed more and more to the, to the image of your Son. We pray as we go into a brand new year that we would be people of the Word and you would be at work in us through your Word to magnify your name, to glorify yourself in and through us, Lord. So we ask that you would begin that work, and it would be such a work. It would be such a work of sustaining and persevering and keeping that, Father, it wouldn't be something that fizzles as so many things do. That it would be something that we long for and that we keep and that we treasure and that we hold. Give us the want to. Give us the longing. Give us the desire. Give us the perseverance that we need to continually saturate ourselves, Lord, and expose ourselves to your truth that we might be set free, that we might be more like Christ. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. So Psalm 119, as you know, is the largest chapter in the Bible. And it is totally dedicated. All of Psalm 119 is totally dedicated to instructing us about the Word of God and inspiring us to devote ourselves to the Word of God, to give ourselves, to know it, to love it, to believe it, to treasure it, to dig into the Word of God. So it must, it must be from God's perspective, His written, revealed word to us, it must be of, of utmost 
importance from God's perspective. It must be top priority from God's perspective that when he speaks to us in his word, the longest chapter that he speaks to us is about his word. The center of our Bible, the longest chapter of Revelation, it's as if God is saying to us loudly and clearly, I am speaking to you, listen. That, that's the heartbeat of Psalm 119. God is speaking. And when God speaks, awesome and, and priceless things happen, miraculous things happen, wonderful things happen. But we have to be listening. We have to be receiving. We have to be believing. So at the beginning of each year, I always like for us to take a look at a section of Psalm 119 and, and that we might once again reorient ourselves, prioritize our lives around God's Word. Make, make God's Word our first and foremost New Year's resolution. I read somewhere this week, someone said, ask, what is a New Year resolution? And the answer is, that's your to-do list for the first week of January. So may that not be said of us when it comes to the Scripture and where we place God's Word in our lives for this coming year. So we've worked our way through Psalm 119 to this next section, beginning with verse 33. And so this is kind of our, our platform, our, our, our jump start into a brand new year. And here it is, January the 1st. No, no better day to be here together and to be looking to God's Word and, and prioritizing God's Word in our lives for a brand new year than January the 1st. We simply cannot make a better plan for our lives. We, I know we have plans. We have goals. We, we have things that we, we're looking forward to, things that we're reaching for, things that we're thinking about, we're working on, we're striving for, or we're wondering about, or we're committing to. We've got all those things rolling around in our hearts and minds around the first of the year. But there's no better commitment than to saturate our hearts on a consistent and regular basis for the next 364 days. Before we get into this passage, I want to just quickly, in, by way of introduction, here are four reasons why, as your pastor, that my, my greatest desire for us it, it, with a new year, each time we enter into a new year, is that you would join me and, and we would all expose our hearts and our lives to the Scripture on a regular basis throughout the year. The first reason would be God's Word is absolute, ultimate, objective truth. God's Word is absolute truth. And since we are sinners, we, we view the world through tainted, corrupted eyes. The worst advice the world gives us is to follow our heart. The best advice we could ever receive is to follow Scripture. Scripture is always true. Scripture is always ultimate, final truth. It, it will not be shaken, it cannot be changed, and it can never be undone. Scripture is truth. And since the Bible is truth, remember, the truth will set us free. There's none of us gathered this morning that there's not something we need to be freed from. And that something is not too big for the work of God through his word in our lives. The truth, Christ says, will set you free. So, in this coming year, let's not allow the world or our peer group or the latest influencer or the latest trend or even our own desires, let's not let those things define reality for us. 
Because when we allow others or even ourselves at times to define our reality, define our world, that's when we begin to live in a deception, in an illusion. Let God define reality for us. Let our worldview and and our perspective on life and world and and world events and what's happening and society and and, and, uh, opportunities and obstacles, let God's word define those things for us. And when we allow God's word to define reality for us, we live in truth. The first reason, God's word is absolute truth. Second, God has spoken. God, almighty God, has spoken loudly and clearly and graciously in his word. It is an absolute treasure beyond treasures that we have the Bible, that we have God's written revelation before us, whether it be on your phone or on your iPad or or in a, a printed page on your lap. It's an absolute treasure of grace. So if we want to hear from God, it's very simple. Open our Bibles. Open your Bible app. Open your Bible in your lap. Open your Bible and open your heart. God hasn't left us in a confusing chaos of a thousand voices. Imagine if everyone is speaking like they, everyone's got... I shouldn't tell that thing about opinions, should I? Everyone's got things that they want to say about everything, right? Imagine if all we had were the thousands of voices that want to speak into everything in every situation. One of the downfalls of social media, right? Everybody thinks they got to say something about everything. But that's not, God has not left us in a confusing chaos of a thousand voices, nor has God left us in an awful dead silence. There was that period for a time, but it's not now. God has spoken and God speaks. He has broken through the fog and the haze of this fallen world in crystal clear wisdom no we will never understand all of God's word no matter how much we study no matter how much we read but we will understand enough of God's word that it will sustain us and it will be sufficient God has spoken with clear wisdom and direction for life and salvation if we will devote ourselves to God's word, we, you will find it, I will find it sufficient for every situation you face. Whatever situation you face in 2023, you will find God's word sufficient. You will not find it lacking. You will not find it silent on those issues. You will not find it silent on the ultimate questions of life, the big questions. The things that cause you to to be frantic, the things that cause you to lose sleep. The questions that weigh on your heart and mind. The Bible has the answers. God has spoken. The third thing is God's word will transform us. God's word will transform our hearts and our minds, eventually our entire lives. The more we are in the word, the more the word will be in us and it will be working. Just as we will discover from our text today, when the word gets in our lives, in our lives, it gets to work. God uses the word in our lives to work out his will, to speak to us to change us, to transform us more and more in the image of Christ. And the, and the fourth reason I, I want you to join me is because I have found this to be the most valuable treasure in my life for the past 35 years. 
God's word over and over and over again, morning by morning, day by day, has been my comfort when I needed comfort, my strength when I needed strength, my stability when I needed stability, my restraint when I needed restraint, my conviction when I needed conviction, my joy when I needed joy. And what God has done for me through his word, he can do for you. So let's, let's see how God's word works for our good. The first thing I want us to see together this morning is the, the three things that God does for us from the word. So we have to be in the Bible. We have to be in God's word. We, scripture has to be pouring into our lives in order for these things to happen. So as the Bible is a regular part of our day, a regular part of our lives, here are the things that God does for us from the word. Number one, the first verse, verse 33, he teaches us. God teaches us. We are lifelong students and God is our instructor there's no better instructor right there's no better class to take we will always there's a certain part of us as believers we will always be students we will always be learning we will always be growing we never graduate from God's academy of sanctification in this life Learning the ways of God is a lifelong endeavor. There's always something new. There's always something fresh. There's always something we need to be reminded of. There's always something that that we need a fresh take on, a fresh look at from God's word. But notice in particular in verse 33, notice that the psalmist says here, notice Notice what the psalmist says God teaches us from the word. He, He teaches us the way of his statutes not just his statutes god doesn't just reveal to us in his word the do's and the don'ts but but the way of his statutes now i take that to mean that god also teaches us the reason for his statutes why he gives us the why for his commandments and his law You see, God not only reveals to us how we are to live this life to the fullest, he tells us why his rules are what they are. The Bible is far more than a list of do's and don'ts. Even the commandments themselves are revealing to us something about God, something about ourselves, something about the world that we live in. Josh McDowell explained this years ago, and he used the Ten Commandments as his uh, illustration. So, for example, in the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall not murder. Now, that means the, the opposite of that, the positive of that is that we should preserve, we should protect innocent life. We should not intentionally take innocent life you shall not murder that's the statute but God also teaches us the way of his statutes the reason for the statute God instructs us to protect and and preserve innocent life why because God is life you see the statute is telling us something about God God is life. God is creator. God is sustainer. And God teaches us that as well. You see, because if we know the way, if we know the reason, if we know what's behind the commandment, what's underneath the commandment, then we are motivated to obey it. If we know that it's not just, a, not just an arbitrary list But there's meaning and there's revelation and there's understanding and there's something about God to this and there's something about our good to this. If we understand the way, then we're motivated, we're energized to follow it, to keep it. In fact, that's exactly what the psalmist says, isn't it? Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes 
and I will keep it to the end. If I know the reason, I'll keep it to the end. And that's what God gives us. But the second thing God gives us, that God does for us from the word, is he gives us understanding. Give me understanding that I may keep your law. Now, I take this to mean that God not only teaches us what to do, that's the statute. He not only teaches us the why, but he teaches us the how. He gives us understanding of the how. Let's, let's take another example. Another example of the statute is love the Lord with all your heart. Love the Lord with your whole heart. It's the first and greatest commandment. The reason for that statute is God is love. God is love. Therefore, we are to love. We are to love God first and foremost and to love our neighbor. The understanding of how to love God then, what's the understanding of how to keep it? See what the psalmist says? Give me understanding that I may keep your law. The understanding of how to love the Lord, well, that's written on every page of the Bible, isn't it? But we could say at least this much. God does say this, right? First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, that's how you love me. Keep me above all. Don't put anything or anyone above me. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart. How? Don't put anything above him. Give me understanding. That's what his word does for us. Love God above all. That's how we love him with our whole heart. And now with an understanding, we can, as the psalmist says here, we can, what does he say in, the, in verse 34? Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. If I know how to do it, then I can do it. So God gives us understanding. God teaches us the way of his statutes. And third, God leads us in the path of his commandments. God leads us. God draws us. He directs us. He moves us in the path of his commandments. I take this to mean God not only gives us the why of his statutes, God not only gives us the how of his statutes, he also gives us the desire he also shows the way. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Both to will. God gives us the will. God leads us in his commandments and that's where the delight comes in you see what the psalmist says lead me in the path of your commandments for i delight in it that's where the joy is in god's way so the psalmist the heart of the psalmist says lead, lead me in your way that that's where my true delight is all these other delights are, are false delights, false pleasures. Nothing brings greater joy than living for Jesus. Because that's absolutely what we were created to do. Three things God does for us from the word. As we expose our hearts and lives to the word over and over, God teaches us the way of his statutes. God gives us understanding of his word, and God leads us in the path of his commandments. And then the next thing the psalmist touches on are two things God does in us by his word. So as we are filling our lives and our minds and our hearts with God's word on a, on a regular, consistent basis, the result of that, there are many results of that. There's much fruit from that. But the psalmist here points us in the direction of at least two things that God is doing in our lives with the word in our lives. And the first one we find there in verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. That's our treasure verse for the month. 
Incline my heart. Turn my heart. Bend my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. That, that's where it's bent already. That's where it's prone already. The heartbeat of Scripture is that we, we were created to glorify God. That, that's, why, that's why we exist for His glory. So that's how we discover real life. That, that's how we discover who we are, what we are about when we are glorifying God. When we are living out our purpose. So the heartbeat of sin is the very opposite of that. Sin is always the opposite of God's will and God's desire in our lives. The heartbeat of sin is the desire to live for self. The heartbeat of sin is, is inward and meward. That's the chief deception of sin. Our flesh is constantly trying to convince us. The world around us is constantly trying to convince us that the greatest life possible is a life that revolves around self. When our world revolves around us, when everyone else revolves around us, when, when we are the center of our universe, when everything goes as we please, as we want, when everyone does our bidding, when we get all that we want and we do all that we want to do, when we have all that we want to have, when this world is defined by me, that's when I'll find life. And once we're convinced of that trajectory, and it doesn't take much convincing because we're born sinners, we're, we're born inclined that way. We're born looking for reasons to justify that way. Once we're convinced and once we're dedicated to that trajectory, the selfishness of sin just slowly begins to eat away. We're not satisfied, but we're pretending that we are satisfied. We're not complete, but we keep striving to be complete on the same path. We're miserable, but we pretend to be happy. The selfishness of sin just eats away at our life because we're convinced that for me to be filled, i got to fill myself. I, I've, I've got to get, I've got to receive. It's got to be about me. It's, it's, it, it hasn't been enough about me yet. That's the problem, sin tells us. So the only way to turn our heart from its natural bent, from its selfish gain... The only way to turn our heart from that natural inward bent is for the gracious hand of God to bend our hearts upward rather than inward. That we might see the glory and beauty of what we were created to behold. We were never meant to look inward. We were always meant to look upward. And when God's grace bends our hearts, inclines our hearts upward, the more we expose our hearts to God's word, the more he inclines our hearts to him. The more our heads are lifted up, our, our eyes are lifted up. We don't need more selfish gain. We need more of God in his word. You see what the psalmist says here about how God does that? How in order for me to turn away from myself, because all of us are this way, right? We look at self and we think a lot of self. <laughs> how, how do you get convinced? How does a heart get convinced to quit being enthralled with self? Well, you got to see something greater. You got to see something that there's no doubt is greater and, and better. You see what the psalmist says here? He says, incline my heart to your testimonies. What is a testimony? It's, somebody that, it's something that somebody shares about themselves. That's what the Bible is. God is literally looking at us through the Bible and saying, look at me. <laughs> Look what I've done. Look who I am. Look at my testimony. See my record. And when God inclines us to his testimonies, the more we have of God, the less we need of me. Isn't that what John the Baptist says? He must increase, 
I must decrease. Here's the Old Testament version of that. It's our treasure verse. He inclines our hearts. The second thing that he does, and we need this just as much, in the very next verse, verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. We're often trying to find our life with empty buckets, right? We're trying to carry water with buckets with holes in them. Worthless things. Worthless things are things that have no eternal value. Things that distract us from the best things. Things that keep us from the most important things. Things that waste our time. Things that cloud our judgment. Things that entice us to turn back away from God back to self. Those are the worthless things that the psalmist is talking about. Listen to me carefully. This is for all of us. What we consume transforms us. What we consume as individuals transforms us. In other words, we become like the things that consume our time and our interests. If we consume worthless things, we become worthless for things eternal. But when we consume the priceless eternal things of the Lord, which are found in his word, we become more and more like Christ. Worthless things. We're all guilty of this, especially in in our day of smartphones. What has more of our day and our thoughts and our extra time? Is it this device or is it this treasure chest? Which is the priority? What's the first thing you go to? How often do you go to God's word? How often do I go to God's word? How often do you go to your phone? How often do I go to my phone? You can look on here somewhere and it tells you what your screen time is for the week. You see what I said? You can look on here somewhere. I don't know what to do with all this. It's smarter than I am. I wonder if there was a, could be a place where we could go and find out what the Bible time is for the week. And compare it. Compare how many times our thoughts were consumed with what we're scrolling and what we're meditating on, what we're memorizing. Worthless things. Don't, it doesn't have to be a bad thing, by the way. It doesn't have to be a bad thing to be a worthless thing. It can just be a time waster or a life waster. By the way, if you waste enough time, you waste a life, right? You waste enough time, you waste a day. You waste enough time, you waste an opportunity. You waste enough time with worthless things and you don't have time for the most important things. Are we making a bad trade, church? Are we settling for worthless things and putting aside the most important things? Do we talk to God before we talk to men? Turn my eyes from worthless things. Now, why is that so important? Because look what he says. Look what the trade-off is. Worthless things for life. We, we won't find what the heart is hungry for in worthless things. We won't find what the soul craves in worthless, mindless things. But we will find what the soul, the appetite of the soul is starving for in the things of God. Give me life where? In your ways. In your ways. That's where we find it. So two things God does in us by the word. He inclines our hearts. We can't do that. God's got to do that. 
He turns our eyes from worthless things to life in his ways. We can't do that. God must do that. God must give us what we need to do that. And that brings us to the final point. Three things God does us, God does to help us remain in the word. Here's what we need for those resolutions, right? To remain, to be steady, to keep at it, to not give up, to stay persevering, to when we drop the ball on that reading plan to pick it back up. Three things God does to help us remain in the word. Look at the first one here in verse 38. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. In other words, show me that your promise is true. Show me that you're good for your word. Nothing keeps us hungry for more of God and more of his word like his rich and gracious promises. And the Bible is absolutely pregnant with and overflowing with God's good and hopeful and peace-giving and faith-sustaining and life-changing and, and, and thought-reforming promises. And God is good for each and every one. Not a word of his promises fail. God makes no false claims. Often we commit to things that are beyond us. Really, I mean, we, you know, sometimes our heart gets uh, uh, ahead of our head, right? And, and we, we commit ourselves to or we, or, we, or we promise things that are really out of our reach that we're not able to do. God never runs into that situation. He never hits a point that he says, I better not promise that because I'm not sure I can do it. God's words, his promises never fail. We just simply need to abide in his word, to glean the promises from his word, and then cling to every one. That, that's the motto for this year, right? Glean and cling. God is faithful. He will confirm every one. He will prove himself true. He will never be proved faithless. All of the promises of God in the Bible for you are yes and amen if you are in Christ. God has made it sure. Christ has made it sure. Christ's death made it sure. Christ died so that God's promises would be real and come to fruition in your life. Maverick City says in one of their songs, if he said it, I believe it. You are a man of your word. That's our God. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. That is that God, that God may be loved, that God may be rightly respected, honored, adored. And here's another thing. Turn away the reproach. The next verse, verse 39, turn away the reproach that I dread. You see the psalmist, he's getting really excited about God's work in his life. He's getting really excited about what, what that's going to mean, how, how that's going to transform him, how he's going to be living for the Lord. And then all of a sudden the reality of living in a fallen world is also setting in. I believe that's what this means here. He says, turn away the reproach that I dread. There's one thing we know as believers. If we sell out to Jesus, if we live a radical life for God, there will be consequences. There will be reproach. There will be a price to pay if our lives are counter-culture. It will not always be easy. We will not always have a smooth path. There will be opposition. There will be obstacles. There may be persecution. And that's why we often keep silent. The reproach that I dread. That's why we often keep our faith shut up in our closet and private and to ourselves. 
and we don't let it out and we're not vocal about it and we don't share it. We dread and we fear reprisal and rejection and reproach. So we just kind of keep it to ourselves. You see what the psalmist says here? Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. What's he saying here? We need God to show us and confirm to us once again that his rules, his ways are good. We're, we're dreading reaction to the things that are good. It's amazing how people can be so bold and upfront and out there about things that are just wrong, just bad, just sin. And we keep silent because we dread the reproach. We need to be reminded that what we have in Christ is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Is there a price to pay? Absolutely. Is it worth the price? Absolutely. God's return will always far surpass the world's reproach. If God is going to be foremost in our lives, we're going to lose something in terms of this world. They don't go together. They don't walk hand in hand. They don't fit hand in glove. So the psalmist recognizes that and he says, turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Help me not be ashamed or fearful for loving and sharing and standing for the good. And then finally, he says, Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness give me life. I long for your precepts. Why? Because in God's righteousness is where we find life. Walking with the Lord, walking with Christ. With Christ as our Savior and Lord, that's where full, satisfying, complete life is found. We, we, we've just got to get our longing pointed in the right direction. We've got to get the things that we long for correct. We, we just simply long for the wrong things. That's what sinners do, right? What do sinners do? They sin. So we, we've got to get our longing right. We've got to get our longings pointed in the right direction for the right things. The problem is we long for that which can never satisfy. How, how do we get our longing right? Well, the right comes from his righteousness, his word. That's the right. That's the righteousness. That's the right direction. So here's what God does when, when we commit to exposing our lives, our, our hearts, our minds to his word on a regular basis. The more that we are in God's word, the more he begins to shift our longings. The more he begins to, to, to shift the direction and the appetite of our longings away from self and sin and the world and more to Christ and the gospel and the glory of God and the joy for all peoples in the gospel of Christ. Behold, I long for your precepts. May, may that become our testimony for this coming year that we long for his word. We wake up in the morning with a longing for his word. A yearning, a desire to be with our creator, to be with our father. To commune with Christ, to walk with him. God does that in our lives as we continue to pour his word in our hearts. 
So let's think about this in, in, as we conclude this time together. Just, just as a, by way of illustration, you know, and some of you know this right well. Here, here's the illustration. If you don't get enough sleep, you can't function right physically, can you? If you are lacking adequate sleep, then, then the following day, especially if you go several days, if you, if you are lacking sleep, then you just, you can't function right. You can't think clearly. You, you can't move. You, you can't react. Everything is sluggish. Loss of sleep affects you physically. And everybody said on New Year's Day, amen. Now, when we don't get enough of God through his word, we can't function right spiritually. We begin to get sluggish spiritually. We begin to lose the ability to think accurately spiritually. Things begin to be slower and, and heavier and, and, and it becomes more of a task for us spiritually. Why? Because we're absolutely drained. There, there's a loss of God's word in our lives. Lack of Bible intake will affect us spiritually. But the result is the, 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 the same truth. Consuming Scripture being saturated with God's word, being full and overflow in our hearts, overflowing in our hearts and our minds with God's word, that also affects us spiritually. That sharpens our spiritual thinking. That gives us energy in our spiritual lives for the tasks that are before us to serve the Lord. That motivates us. That, that gives us the joy that we need when we are in the Scripture. So what do we do? Well, we need a plan. We need a goal. We need a resolution. We need something tangible to lock on to that we can use as a tool, as an instrument to pour God's word into our lives. Let, let me give you five, five simple things and, and choose from one of these. No, number one is my plan uh, every year. This is my plan. It's called the five by five. The five-by-five five plan, five chapters a day, five days a week, the Bible in a year. I start in Genesis, and I just go all the way, just go all the way through. Five chapters a day, five days a week, the Bible in a year. What do you do if you miss Tuesday? You read 10 chapters Wednesday. Now, we've made these cards. There's some down here at the front. There's some in the lobby. Here's the five-by-five five plan. I would love for you to join me in reading through the Bible this year. Here's a card to help you do that. All 52 weeks are listed with what you'll read. Now, when we get to Psalms, we're going to read 10 chapters a day because they've got smaller chapters, right? And we're going, we have two catch-up weeks built into the year. So midway of the year, you get a catch-up week. At the end of the year, you get a catch-up week. Five by five, read the Bible in a year. I'd love for you to join with me. And we start in the morning, Genesis 1 through 5. Grab your, grab your copy, keep it with you. Join with me in reading through the Bible. Here's another plan. Maybe just read through the Old Testament. Read about three chapters a day and read through the Old Testament. How about the New Testament? A couple of chapters a day. Read through, the, read through the New Testament. When you get through reading through it, go back and read through it again. Just keep exposing your life to God's Word. Pick one book of the Bible. What's your favorite book of the Bible? Pick that Bible and read it over and over and over. Buy a commentary and read about that over and over. Here's, some, here, here's something to, for us to digest the Word of God, pick a book of the Bible and memorize it this year. You've got 364 days. So, you know, don't pick Second Chronicles. I would say pick, you know, Second John, one of the first, one of the single chapter books, or just pick a book of the Bible that that you love and memorize it. Write it out. Go over it every morning. Put it everywhere in your life. Keep going over God's word. Imagine 
how far you can go into God's Word in one year if you just keep diving in the same spot over and over and over and over. Pick a book and study it all year. Pick a book and memorize it. Or here you go. This, this is the latest and greatest, right? Open up your Bible app. Find a plan. Stick to it. Get an accountability partner. Say, hey, let's, let's pick a plan Whatever it might be, it might be the whole Bible. It might be a section of the Bible. It might just be the New Testament. It might just be a book. It might just be a verse a day that's sent to you. Whatever it is, let's pick a plan. Let's stick to it. Let's read it. Let's memorize it. Let's talk about it. Find an accountability partner. Listen, it's not about how much. It's not about how much you read. It's just that you read. It's just that you're taking in, that you're listening. God is speaking. God is speaking every single day. God is speaking. But we've got to open the Bible and open our hearts to hear him. That's our challenge for 2023. God, God's word at work in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we glorify you and praise you. We thank you for another brand new year, another brand new opportunity we have now to dedicate this year to the word of God, to dedicate our lives to God's truth, to give our lives to the scripture and watch how you work, watch how you speak, listen how you move, glean your promises and cling to your promises Watch how you will confirm your promises. Watch how you will work in our lives as we day by day by day saturate ourselves in your precious truth. Lord, may the scriptures become our treasure this year, that we will long for them, treasure them, abide in them, trust them, stand upon them, share them. May we really become people of the word, not just in name, not not just by saying, oh yeah, we believe the Bible, but in being able to say, oh yeah, we believe the Bible because this is what it says, because this is what it does. Lord, transform us. Give us what we need. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.